0: Today, we turn together in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and then 18 to 36. We welcome those visiting with us, and we are going through the Gospel of Matthew together. Lord willing, we'll come back to verses 9 through 17 next week. But Matthew arranges things not chronologically, but more topically as you read through his Gospel, and that's why we're looking at this. Focus today on the compassion of Jesus. Hear now the word of God. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, Be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep. Without a shepherd. So far, the reading of God's word, may He bless it to us today, loved ones, by His Holy Spirit. What is it that makes you scared, repulsed, wanting to turn and run the other way? Well, we are enjoying marriage bonding, my wife and I, right now, through mice. How about that? Marriage and mice. Who would have imagined? When God brings you together as husband and wife, it means at times you've got mice and all the feces to deal with. So we set up two sticky traps. And this morning we went down and on an exploring mission, wondered what we would find. And we look, and what do we see? Something that makes my wife repulsed, wanting to shriek and run the other way. Two mice. She wants to get away from them for good reason. But in our life, loved ones, sometimes when faced with other things, not dead mice, but perhaps the sufferings of others, our natural inclination is to want to turn and run, or not look in the eye, or not show compassion. Why is that? It's because we're sinners. It's because our emotions are disordered by the fall, but not so Jesus In this passage today, Matthew 9, and the chapter before us, there are 10 healings, one after another, and a strange group of people coming together from all different places and backgrounds Gentiles, and Jewish fishermen, and a paralytic, and a woman who is bleeding, and blind men, and there's Pharisees there. It's all happening. And it all has one thing in common Christ is central. And Christ is not turning away in repulsion. Today we want to ask the question what is Jesus really like? St. Clair Ferguson quotes from B.B. Warfield, who talked many hundreds of years ago about the fact that our Savior experienced every human emotion possible without sin, not sinful human emotions. We recited in the Nicene Creed who Jesus is and what he has done. But what is he like? What's his heart like? And we find in this passage, more than anything else, the New Testament describes the most common emotion of Christ as one of compassion. What does that mean for how you view Jesus? What does that mean for how we live together as single people in marriage at work and at school and as siblings and as a church family? How does this impact us? First, we see Jesus healing in amazing love and compassion, a paralytic. Here in the context, Jesus has calmed a storm. He has cast out demons from two men he's still in his own town here he's in Capernaum things are busy and crowds are gathered and Luke brings this out in much more detail maybe you remember that so does Mark but here you have Jesus and a house that is just packed disciples are there and also scribes or Pharisees or teachers of the law are there these teachers are sitting there Luke tells us. They have gathered from Jerusalem, from all around, and they're there as the self-appointed police of the law of God. The Pharisees took God's word seriously. But they went beyond the law, and they wanted to add extra laws to God's law. So, for instance, the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. They said, well, let's build a hedge around it. You can't even say the name Yahweh. They turned God's law into a superficiality. External religion, formalism, pride and hypocrisy, no grace, no salvation. Now yes, there were Pharisees who were saved by the grace of God, but these guys were here not to listen to Jesus, not to trust him, not to learn from him, not to cast themselves on Christ for mercy, not to ask for forgiveness of sins, not to love him, Not to worship him, they're there to investigate him. They're trying to catch him, find something he does that they think is wrong. They are filled with envy. They're disturbed about the crowds that are gathered around Jesus. The house is packed, and Mark's gospel says four men show up with a friend on a stretcher. They can't get in. So, what do they do? These men love their friend. They are going to be undeterred. They're going to get him to Jesus. So, they go up on the roof, like a Wrigley Field patio type roof, a roof that's made not just of mud, but of tiles and twigs, and it's probably like concrete. And they're up there while Jesus is speaking and teaching. And they start to dig. And you can imagine, if you're in that house, all of a sudden start, stuff starts to fall from the ceiling. And you're thinking, what, what's happening up there? And you might hear some noises, and then you might see a little bit of opening and some sun coming through. The roofers are here. They're replacing the roof. What's happening here? And then all of a sudden the hole is so big that a man has dropped through it, kids. You've never seen that, have you? no. And the man is brought right to Jesus. And you're wondering, what will happen? What's Jesus going to say? It says that he saw their faith, the faith of the men. He saw their love for this friend. And you would expect him to say what to the man who's paralyzed? You're healed. But that's not what he says first, is it? He says, man, your sins are forgiven. That might sound at first like Jesus is missing the point. This guy can't walk, and he's talking about sins being forgiven? Why? He does not say this because the paralysis was caused by one man's particular sin. Jesus corrects that misunderstanding in John 9, doesn't he? He doesn't say, okay, you sin, so this is why you're this way. Now, sometimes there's a connection between sin and all sorts of afflictions. If you're really mad, you punch the wall. You might break your hand, and then you're out of the playoffs, and you can't help your team win in a basketball game. That can happen. But Jesus is not saying that's why this man is paralyzed. Why does he say this? Because there is no deeper need for us, than to have our sins forgiven. That's true for you, it's true for me, it's true for those friends, it's true for that man who's paralyzed. The paralyzed man is in a horrible state, but the spiritual paralysis of sin is even greater. So that he says to this man, you are a sinner. That's something you wouldn't like publicly said of you or me, but it's true. Sin is, is our condition. Our hearts naturally are depraved. Our actions flow out of our hearts. We are sinned against and we are sinners. In sin, we are alienated from God and from one another. Without the forgiveness of sins, there is no good news. But Jesus came to deal with that. And of all the wonderful words that you've heard in your life, Yes, I will marry you. It's a boy. The cancer is in remission. Nothing can compare to this. Man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus himself, the God man in the flesh, says the best news of the gospel possible. And how do these Pharisees respond? This guy's blaspheming, they said. He's claiming to be God. And they didn't say that out loud. The text is telling us that they're saying this in their hearts. They're attacking Jesus. They're throwing murderous thoughts back and forth in their hearts. Much like Psalm 139 says, Lord, search me and know me. They accuse Jesus of doing what only God can do. Forgive sins. Now, there's a sense in which we forgive one another, don't we? That should be happening all the time, by the way, in our marriages, in our friendships as a church. If I sin against my wife, if my tongue is harsh, I say, Forgive me. And she, by the grace of God, says, I forgive you. That should happen regularly for all of us. That's the sign of the grace and the Spirit of God at work in our relationships. But we don't forgive sins like God does. So in a sense, the Pharisees are right. Only God can take away sins by becoming sin for us, Jesus. So the Pharisees know only God can say that. But they show us that someone can have the right theology and not have a right saving relationship with Jesus. They can say all the right things but not trust in Jesus and love Jesus, who alone has the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus asks them a riddle. He knows their hearts. He knows my heart. He knows your hearts. And as a Christian, that's good news because he loves you. But he says to these guys, okay, what's harder to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk to a paralyzed man? In a sense... They both are easy to say as words. But in a sense, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can't go and look into the throne room of God to see if they're forgiven. But if you say to someone who's paralyzed, get up and walk, either that paralyzed person will walk or they won't. Either you are who you say you are or you're a fraud. Only someone with authority can say and do this. And so Jesus Right out of Daniel 7, says the Son of Man, you remember Daniel 7? The Ancient of Days, the Father, has the Son of Man come to him and he gives him authority and power and kingdom and glory. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's me, he's saying. I have that power. I am God in the flesh. I have that compassion. In my heart. So you're thinking, what does he say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Which one? The answer is yes. He places a priority on the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He says and does both. And there's a miracle. This paralyzed man walks Immediately, this is God doing something only God can do. The miracle authenticates his words. How do we know Jesus can forgive sins? Well, he says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to cause this paralyzed man to walk. Forgiving sins, loved ones, and the compassion of Christ is seen most clearly at the cross. Jesus, in his compassion, came and fulfilled the law for you. Jesus in his love and compassion died the death you and I deserve taking the infinite debt of our sin on himself Jesus in his power was raised from the dead vindicated as the son of God his righteousness is perfect his death is acceptable by God the father forgiven and righteous finished redemption accomplished that's good news for you and me Emmaus wrote Michael Reeves quotes from Thomas Goodwin. In all his glorious holiness in heaven, Jesus is not sour toward you. Think about this when you sin. He's not distant from you. Two things stir his compassion toward you your affliction, your suffering, and this is almost unbelievable, actually, your sin. Your sins move Jesus to compassion more than to anger as his people. Yes, he hates the sin. We want to hate the sin too. Yes, he wants to free you from the sin and its ruin and destruction. You're in Christ. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by Jesus. And that sin that remains in you, Goodwin says, is like a sickness. Here's how he puts it. Mom and dad, when your kids get sick, you love your children, don't you? You don't hate them when they're sick. You hate the sickness. You hate the fever, the flu. Their sickness arises compassion in you. Compassion for them. In glory, Jesus' first reaction to you when you sin is compassion. We want to run away from Christ in guilt. He runs to you, believer, in grace. Your heart feels cold. Cold. It is your joylessness that stirs his compassion. And this loving compassion draws you to Christ away from your sin. In our guilt, we never want to face up to a cold God. But he's not cold. The tender kindness of Christ, the beauty of his heart to you in heaven, woos you. Behold your Savior. Second, Jesus raises and heals. The scene shifts. It picks up here for us in verse 18. Jesus is now before a ruler of a synagogue whose name is Jairus. Luke 8 tells us that. A synagogue, children, was a place of worship When you're outside Jerusalem, you're not at the temple, you would have these assemblies, communities, all around. And this man was one of the leaders of worship. And he sees Jesus, and he falls at his feet. He's humble. He's crying out for mercy. Why? Because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, is near death. Matthew shortens things. He condenses it, so he says she's already dead. Notice that? You read Luke and Mark, there's much more going on than just that. And that hits us. If you have children, it hits you. If you have nieces and nephews, if you have kids in the church that you love as your children, this hits you deeply. A 12-year-old dying. This shouldn't happen. Jairus pleads with Christ, let's go here. And Jesus goes. And he heads to his house. And on the way, another desperate situation arises. Another affliction. This time, a woman who for 12 years has suffered with hemorrhaging. Potentially chronic bleeding from the womb. She's been an outcast because of the laws of the Old Testament and Leviticus. Leviticus. She's kept away. She's isolated. She hasn't been able to worship with God's people for 12 years. She's gone from doctor to doctor. She's spent all she can on physicians. It won't get better. It's not fixed. She's sick. But she wants to get to Jesus. You might be in a situation in your life with chronic illness with besetting sins, with addictions, with broken relationships. You might feel discouraged, defeated. You might have tried all sorts of things. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to try to fix it with this. Where do you turn when you've tried everything and nothing seems to help? In desperation, God brings us to cry out to Christ. He brings us to an end of ourselves so that we would cast ourselves on Jesus. Have you done that? Have you ever said, God, I'm a sinner, I'm weak, I'm sick physically and spiritually. God, help. God, save. God, forgive. God, have mercy. I can't fix this. Casting yourself on Jesus. He's kind. He won't break a bruised reed. He won't quench a smoldering wick. The woman waits on the fringes. The crowd is enormous. Quietly, she reaches out to touch Jesus. Jesus says, Who touched me? This is interesting. It gives us a picture into who Christ is. He is truly man and truly God. As a man, he didn't know who touched him. That's genuine. As a man, he's thirsty and tired and hungry. As God, power went out from him and he healed her. Truly man, truly God. No mixing, no confusing of humanity and deity. And she's healed by a miracle of Christ. He doesn't become unclean, she becomes clean. She's superstitious. She thought if I just touch it, it'll help. Think of the world we live in today, superstition. If I touch that or if I go there or if I see this, then no. It's Christ who saves. It's the object of her faith, not the strength of her faith that saves. Her faith, like ours, was mixed with unbelief. It was weak, but Christ strengthens it. He loves her. He's going to purify this superstitious faith. He cares for her. He doesn't want her to stay in the shadows. That's what she's trying to do. She doesn't want anyone to see her because if they see her, she's unclean, she's out. Jesus draws her near. She is us, beloved. We are healed from the impurity and the guilt of our sin by Jesus becoming sin and becoming unclean in our place. Look at the compassion of Christ. Daughter. The only time this word is used in the New Testament. Such an intimate name. Take heart. Have courage, Emmaus wrote. The grace of adoption. The outcast. The reject. Is called daughter by the Son of God. Behold Christ. He is the same to you today in whatever affliction and sin you're dealing with full of compassion you're thinking at this point I completely forgot where I was is that what you're thinking? if you're there that day is that what you're thinking? what have we just left off and there's not a tie to that loophole? gyrus, right? All this is happening as there's an immediate need for Jairus' daughter to be made well. And they're on their way there and Jesus heals this woman and Jairus says, let's get going. Jesus, come on. And another man comes, Luke tells us this, and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's over. Your daughter's dead. Imagine that, mom and dad. Siblings, maybe you've been through this the death of a child. Maybe you've seen your parents go through it, the death of a sibling. Maybe in your own life right now you're saying, Jesus, why didn't you heal this person? You're late. What's happening? Jesus is so tender and kind. He goes to the dead girl. They're weeping, they're mourning they would hire professional mourners wailing this is not a quiet little thing loud outbursts flute players were there do not weep jesus says by the way don't ever say that at a funeral at a funeral never say that never say that because only the son of god can say and do something about that don't weep the girl's not dead but asleep at once the mourners move from wailing to mocking laughter. Who is this guy? It's one thing if he can heal someone who's sick, but she's dead. That's way beyond his pay grade. Nuh-uh, not going to happen. Complete unbelief. Jesus takes her by the hand. Mark tells us, he speaks these words. Talitha kumb. Little girl, arise. I'm the son of God. I'm the savior of the world. I have compassion. And I'm taking you. And I'm raising you. And she immediately speaks. She's raised from the dead. And the first thing she sees is the face of Jesus. A picture of the resurrection to come. A picture of the day when we will see Christ face to face. this miracle is a parable. It's not just about a miracle. If that were the case, we would leave here and think, well, why didn't Jesus heal my child? Why didn't my aunt get better? This girl died again. The miracle points to something much greater than this. A day that we anticipate by faith when our bodies will be raised from the dead. Because Christ has been raised. Every Lord's day is the day of resurrection. We who are in Christ will be raised bodily. Jesus will say to you, Christian, arise. That's why he says, don't weep, she's sleeping. She was dead. But the Bible speaks at times of death as sleep. Your soul's not sleeping. If you die, you're with the Lord. But your body Is lying in the grave, in the cemetery, the resting place. 1 Thessalonians 4. Resurrection for you in Christ is so certain that the Bible speaks of your death as sleep. It's an amazing promise. You will be with the Lord, body and soul. Behold his compassion. Behold your Savior. Third, how do we respond? There's all sorts of responses in this text. The Pharisees are blaspheming as they're saying Jesus is blaspheming. They're unbelieving. Jairus and his daughter are rejoicing. The crowds are marveling. Is that true faith or is that just amazement at what they see? We don't know. Maybe a mixture of both. Two blind men approach. Jesus is traveling down a road. Son of David, have mercy. They want him to heal them, but they don't want him to be their Lord. Jesus ignores it at first. Have mercy, they go into a house. Jesus, who does this more often than any other miracle, gives them sight. pointing to our need for spiritual vision. God, open my eyes. May the eyes of my heart, Ephesians, be enlightened to see the gospel of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. He opens their eyes. Don't tell anyone. What do they do right away? They go and tell someone. And you think, those rascals, don't they know better? How much are we the same? Oh, God, help my unbelief. Jesus, you are my Savior and my Lord. Help me to love you, to obey you. He's strengthening their faith as he does ours in compassion. And then, the final in this set of ten miracles. A man who's demon-possessed. He's mute. Jesus heals this man. And the Pharisees again are so hardened in their heart. The Son of God is before them healing and doing miracles. They don't see it. They hate him, and they tell one another what he's doing is the work of Satan. Beloved, how do you respond? Do you marvel at Jesus' compassion? Matthew 9, 36, he had compassion for them. We will see later that Jesus has anger at the self-righteous religious rulers, a righteous anger. We see here that our Savior has all the feeling and the passion and affection of a truly perfect man. The women are studying a book, Untangling Emotions. It's really good. You who are in it, you who haven't read it by Winston Smith, Alistair Groves. Beloved, the Son of God took on flesh in full humanity. He's the most truly human person who ever lived, and truly God. He has not retreated back today into a disembodied divine state. He has the same compassion for you today as he had for that 12-year-old girl and her father and the woman who is bleeding. Our emotions, because we're sinners, are often... Up and down and mixed and imbalanced and reactionary and unhealthy, but God made emotions. Jesus has perfect proportion and control and feeling. That's what the text is reminding us of. What is Jesus like? He feels deeply, his heart yearns for those who are suffering. They're afflicted. It's in the passions of his belly. you felt this before. When your intestines and your stomach are moving and your body is crying out in your words to God have mercy. He feels this in a way that because we are fallen, we often don't. What do we often do? We sinfully overreact or we sinfully underreact. There's a man who tells a story. He was in India. He saw a homeless person who was missing several teeth and his fingers were partially eaten away. He was a leper. His fingers were damaged not by an injury but because he had eaten them over time. They'd been eaten away. And he said, I saw this and I felt Compassion, but I didn't feel compassion like I should have. Have you experienced that? You see someone who's suffering immensely and you feel something, but you realize my heart is colder than it should be. There's something wrong here. Jesus felt perfect compassion. Sin restrains our emotions of compassion, not so with Christ. It rips his heart out when he sees the suffering. What would it be like for us to be compassionate as Christ is compassionate? Sometimes our emotions are such that we don't feel. We're cold, we're numb. Someone's around us and they're crying, and we're just stoic. Other times, we are flying off the handle from this to that. God made your emotions, dear one. It's a part of how you are the image of God. When we hear and see Jesus' deep compassion, as we live in relationship with him, he begins to work in us to give us hearts that are more like his. Hating what he hates, loving what he loves. What you love comes out in your emotions. Same with me. At the same time, our emotions by the power of the Spirit help us to love the right things in the right way. God, help me to love you and others in the right way. Help me not just to think differently, but tomorrow as my kids are fussing, help me to love them in the right way. As I'm going through a job I don't want to do, help me to do it unto the Lord. I'm struggling here. My emotions are a mess. Help me as I listen to a friend, to really listen and care. Help me, God, to sing. My heart is cold. In your kindness, open my heart by your spirit that my mouth might declare your praise. Help me as I'm reading the Bible alone and with my family. I don't want to read the Bible right now. My mind is everywhere else. My mind's turning on itself. It's not thinking about Christ. Give me the mind of Christ, God. Your word is living and active. Open my heart. I'm struggling. And it might be a season of doubt, a season of sadness, where someone can come to you and say, God moves toward you in your suffering with compassion. It might be praying, Jesus, I come to you, the sympathizing Savior. Have you prayed that? Hear my prayer, sympathizing Savior. Compassion is seeing and responding to another person's suffering. How can I reach out to this person? Did you see what the friends of the paralytic did? His need was real. They did all they could to get him to Jesus. Where in our lives is God building in connections? Where rather than being repulsed by what we see, like a mouse in a trap that makes us Gag and shriek and run. God, help me connect this week. Help me not to pull back. Help me to see someone's face. That's where you see them as they really are. Their physical affliction, their emotional, relational, spiritual distress. Help me not to distance, but to suffer with in compassion. To move. Toward. And if you are sitting here not knowing how, lead with God's compassion for those who have suffered. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen.